Welcome to Christ Church. The following is a homily from our Sunday morning gathering in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Enjoy. The Holy Gospel of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus said, Very truly I tell you, Anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate, but climbs in by another way, is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. The chapter, the portion of, uh, that we heard from Acts today comes from Acts chapter 2. Um, and all the events happen on the day of Pentecost. Remember the story, Pentecost is a time in which Jews would gather 50 days, Penta, after the Passover to celebrate the law that was given to Moses. And so here, here Jesus' disciples are found once again in the upper room of Jerusalem, and they are there to celebrate Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit descends upon them like a rushing wind. John chapter 16 says that this Holy Spirit will lead them into all truth. This Holy Spirit begins to ignite within the disciples the speaking in tongues. So much so that the crowds who are observing this and listening sit there and go, my gosh, these guys are drunk. And Peter, which I think is the funniest uh, point of all of scripture, says, how could we possibly be drunk? It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. Peter says that what you are observing is what was promised in the prophet Joel. That on the Lord's day, God's spirit would pour, upon, pour out upon all people. It would pour out upon all flesh, young and old. Men and women would have visions and dreams. The spirit would pour out upon all of God's creation. And anyone and everyone who calls upon God's name would be saved. And Peter then preaches a powerful sermon in which he testifies that Jesus was not just some sort of charismatic figure or some rabble-razzler who caused trouble, 
but that this Jesus, God has declared Lord and Christ. And the people who are listening are so convicted by this sermon, better than anything Billy Graham ever thought about doing, and says, you're right, what do I need to do? And Peter says, you need to be baptized, your sins will be forgiven, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. And Luke tells us that on that day, 3,000 people were baptized and began to follow Jesus. Luke goes on and tells us that these followers, these 3,000 plus the disciples plus the apostles, they all devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers. Sometimes this has been called the four marks of the church. The apostles' teaching, the common life of those who believed, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers. Teaching, fellowship, communion, and prayers. Which one of the church fathers in describing said that basically you could tie these up or describe these as works of perseverance and works of concord or peace. These four things, these four marks of the church all go together. Without the teaching of the apostles, it is easy for the church to just slide into some sort of country club or social organization that just seeks to do nice things. I listened to a podcast recently that explored the reasons why Humans, in today's day and age, find a loss of wisdom and a loss of trust in society. There are a number of reasons for this. One, we have lost institutions that we used to be trusting in. Any poll will tell you that people's trust in the government, in church, and in the uh, mass media is at all-time lows. Two, anybody who has a YouTube and a YouTube page and a blog suddenly becomes an expert on anything that they want to espouse on. And three, we live in a culture that is often driven more by feelings than by information. And when we seek information, we only seek information that already can, lies with our previously held beliefs. We look for information from the tribes we were already a part of because we don't want to be challenged by information that may cause us to think again about what we believe. And we have bought into this false notion of modernity and enlightenment that we can be a person apart from community. As Archbishop Desmond Tutu once said that we can only be human together. Too often, I think we buy into this consumer desire to create ourselves to be who we want to be, and we don't need any stinking community to help us get there. And yet, what the apostles are saying here in this work from Acts is that being a part of a community of teaching is a central part to being Christian. That the apostles' teachings are like guardrails which give us plenty of freedom, but they keep us from escaping. In the Episcopal Church and the Anglican tradition we are a part of, we point to the, apostles, uh, and Nicene, the Apostle of Nicene's Creed as a summary of this apostolic teaching that we are to wrestle with. That's what Rachel Held Evans said, that what do you do with the creeds? Those are the stories of faith that we wrestle with for our entire life. 
Two is that we have fellowship. We be, when, we, when we don't have fellowship, we become isolated and alone. We can easily fall apart from a church culture, a church community. This word fellowship isn't just simply having friends or being friendly. It carries this connotation of participation and partnership. Paul uses the same word in fellowship when he says in Romans chapter 15 that we wanted to give financial contribution for the poor in Jerusalem. So partnership, fellowship, contribution all have the same meaning. It's not just being friends. It's about actively doing something for another person. Paul uses this exact same word of fellowship when he talks about us sharing the common cup. It's easy for us to forget, but in Jesus' day and time, and the time of the apostles, that people of different social status, of sinners and those who don't think that they're sinners gathering together, would have been sort of shocking. Paul uses this word of fellowship in talking about the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and intimacy with God and intimacy with one another. This, is, this fellowship is more than us just being friendly. Hi, how are you doing? This is genuinely caring about one another. And when called and when needed to participate and partner with those that we call brothers and sisters in Christ. The breaking of the bread keeps the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ in the center of our life. And each time we come to receive the bread and wine, we receive Christ's flesh and blood as a healing agent, as a nourishing agent, as a grace-filled agent to transform and strengthen our lives. One of the great tra uh, tragedies of the post-Reformation church was how quickly churches walked away from Holy Communion as a central practice out of fear that they may seem to be too Catholic. But yet, you go and you see in the early church, immediately they are practicing Holy Communion with one another on a regular basis. I've heard churches say, well, we only do communion once a month or, or once a quarter because otherwise it gets stale, it gets boring, it becomes rote. I cannot imagine what happened to our imagination in which we think and feel that participating in the death of resur and resurrection of Jesus Christ is somehow boring or rote. By all accounts, weekly and regular celebration of communion is a central mark of the early church. In fact, in Paul in 1 Corinthians says that the tradition that has been given to him on Holy Communion, that means Paul's writing 20 years after Jesus. That means that this is something that has been a mark of the church. It's not something we invented later on or something we tacked on, but this was central to our identity. And the prayers, the prayers connect our earthly and our heavenly life together. That what happens here and what happens in heaven are not totally separate things, but matter to one another. Jesus' disciples continue to mark their day with prayers. As good Jewish followers, they would have prayed seven times a day. This is a tradition and a practice that still goes on in the monastic communities even our own Book of Common Prayer reflects four offices that we are called to pray as often as possible. 
these things, these marks of the church, the apostles' teaching, fellowship, the breaking of the bread, and the prayers lead us into a spirit of generosity. And that's the other thing that we find in this amazing passage from Acts chapter 2. It says that, then the, that they were described as a community that was holding all things in common. Now, really quickly, do not draw any sort of economic theory from the book of Acts. Any ideas of socialism or capitalism were completely foreign ideas. So this is not, oh, see, Acts proves that, we are, uh, that we're supposed to be socialists. If anything, it means that we probably all should be living um, in, in communes. But... What happened in, the, in, in this spirit-driven community was is that as anyone had need, they made sure that nobody went without. If somebody was hungry, they were fed. If somebody was naked, they were clothed. If somebody was thirsty, they gave them water. If somebody was in prison, they visited them. Mark of the early church, driven by the Holy Spirit, sustained by the practices, became a church that was known for its generosity. A generosity that was so extreme and so shocking that even non-believers wanted to know what was causing them to live such radical, generous lives. In Jesus' day and time in the first century, you only show generosity in order to get something later. Sort of like, if I scratch your back, then you will scratch my back. But Christians did not do this to get one up or to say, well, here's something I can turn in a little bit later so you'll help me. Christians did it because they were driven by the Holy Spirit in an imagination that the kingdom of God was real. And it really mattered what Christians did with their lives. This is what we're called to do. Brothers and sisters, be gripped by the Holy Spirit in this time of Easter and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more, go to ChristChurchTulsa.org and peace be with you.